It's a storm we're all drowning in. Breaking news. With smartphones in every pocket or purse, more than ever, our adrenaline is churned with stories of bank failures, wars raging, wild weather. It's a storm soaking us all. Just last week, we learned of the second largest bank failure in United States history. That was followed by Russia bumping into one of America's drones over the Black Sea. Then another headline, a second atmospheric river slamming into California. All the pushes and alerts of breaking news stir us up, often producing a lack of peace. John Newton, the 18th century slave trader, knew great storms. He had no peace until he met Jesus. His hymn, Amazing Grace, revealed his thoughts. Through many dangers, toils, and snares, I have already come. This grace that brought me safe thus far, and grace will lead me home. Grace is a gift of God. It's a work of God. How easy it is to forget both. Grace comes from God, and he then works grace out. I'm Charles Morris, welcoming you to a new week on Haven Today as we continue a series this week called How Sweet the Sound. This is the program that's all about Jesus. There are many examples and descriptions of grace found in God's Word. There's grace to the graceless, eternal life through grace. We're saved by grace. It means continual access to God. It's the greatest free gift ever given. Theologically speaking, we are justified by grace. It's God's gift to humanity, God's gift of Jesus. Here we are, 250 years after John Newton introduced the hymn and preached a sermon on amazing grace. It's been appropriated when tragedy strikes. It's been linked to cultural causes. Even John Newton finally understood it and received it in his 20s. But it wasn't easy for him to find but it was easy for him to finally receive. He didn't find grace from a foxhole conversion. It took time. He had a miserable childhood after his mother died when he was only six. He went to sea as a young boy on orders from his harsh ship's captain father. He lived a wayward life, and that's too easy a word to use. He was convicted of sin as a wayward youth when the ship on which he sailed encountered a storm that wrecked the vessel but his life was spared. He resolved to resolve countless times, but it wasn't until later that he finally found grace. What do I want us to do in this time together? Well, we're going to talk about children finding grace, both in history and today. We'll be joined by a mom whose kids have memorized Amazing Grace. We'll hear them sing a little bit of it. And I want to bring in a passage that Paul wrote that we need so much today. It's found in 2 Corinthians 12, and that's where he quoted his Savior as saying, My grace is sufficient. But first, let's open with the hymn we're thinking about again this week, with a familiar voice as he reflects on the life of John Newton before he sings it for us. George Beverly Shea. They were meaningful words, the ones I read in the small churchyard in Olney, England, where the composer of this great hymn of faith was laid to rest. Inside the church, his pulpit. Outside in his stone, this inscription. John Newton, clerk, once an infidel and libertine, 
a servant of slaves in Africa, was by the rich mercy of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, preserved, restored, pardoned, and appointed to preach the faith he had long labored to destroy. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now am found, was blind, but now I see. That taught my heart to fear And grace my fears relieved How precious did that grace appear The hour I first I have already come Tis grace has brought me safe thus far And grace will lead me him on the air. Not long before he died, George Beverly Shea from his album, I'd Rather Have Jesus, An Amazing Grace, here in this haven today, and a program called How Sweet the Sound. All last week, we heard from my friend, Dr. Bruce Hindmarsh. He's the leading scholar today on the life of John Newton. Bruce, welcome back to the program. You've studied this life of Newton for the last 30 years. What's touched you personally as you looked at his life. Hmm. Thank you, Charles. Yeah, you know, I mean, there's so many parts of Newton's story, to the, just the humanity and a struggling person makes mistakes and so on that I found quite moving. But, you know, I, I turned uh, 60 years of age last year, and I feel aware that as you get older and you look back on your life, if you're at all sensitive or if you're paying attention, you can't help but have... Um, have some regrets, 
things mm-hmm. you wish you could do over again, ways in which you know you hurt people. And just think of what it was like for Newton as he begins to become more deeply aware of how much harm he had done in the slave trade. He gave evidence to the Privy Council, evidence to a House Select Committee. He encouraged Wilberforce. He wrote against the trade. He spoke publicly and privately, and he tried to destroy it. But we were looking at a manuscript where actually it was the written text of his testimony to the House Select Committee. And he had he his own personal copy. He wrote his own handwriting on there. And you're looking at this at a library? Yeah, yeah looking at a copy at, at, the, manu- at the manuscript. Okay. And he says... This is his own handwriting on his own copy to which he has signed his name, like I own what I have done, and I am now speaking against this. He said, I make no apology for speaking publicly against this trade. I dare not. Should I be silent, my conscience would speak loudly, knowing what I know. Nor could I expect a blessing on my ministry, though I should speak of the sufferings of Jesus till I was hoarse. Mm. So he's emphatic that he Mm. must speak out. But then at the bottom, Charles, he adds this note. He quotes Genesis 4.10, And the Lord God said, What hast thou done? The voice of thy brother's blood crieth unto me from the ground. Mm. Mm. And so you just picture he places himself with that first murder, you know, Cain and Abel. And what I keep thinking is Hebrews 12.24. Thank goodness that that the sprinkled blood speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. Mm-hmm. You know, and I think Newton, he wrote again about the same time to a friend who was on the abolition committee. He said, I hope God has forgiven me, but I ought to walk softly all my days in the remembrance of what I have been and what I have done. Mm-hmm. There's kind of a beautiful gentleness and a deep trust in the mercy of Christ even for those of us as we get older, that God's grace and mercy stays with us, uh, we trust, all the way to the end. A special thanks to Bruce Hindmarsh for joining us again on the program. You can hear my full discussion with him on our Great Stories podcast. They're at haventoday.org. It's a fascinating look at John Newton's life, as well as the hymn he wrote, Amazing Grace. And while you're on our website... Take a look at the sample chapter from the book that Bruce co-wrote called Amazing Grace, The Life of John Newton, and the surprising story behind his song. Bruce and Craig Borlase have woven an easy-to-read yet true-to-history novelesque book about Newton's life and his conversion to Christ, and how he wrote the most beloved hymn of all time in the English language. And as you read it, I believe it'll have you singing with joy and how Christ's grace can transform the hardest of hearts. I want to send you a copy of this just-out hardback book for your gift to support our ministry. You can make your gift at haventoday.org, haventoday.org. You can read a sample chapter for the book then at our website, or call us after the program at 800-65-HAVEN, 800-65-HAVEN. Now, a few moments ago, I mentioned we were going to talk with a mom. Kate Ray is a producer for Haven Today. She and her husband, James, taught their children this famous hymn as a way to teach them grace. Kate lives in South Carolina. And Kate, why did this hymn become so special for your children? 
Charles, it's funny you should ask because right above our couch, we have a large piece of artwork that looks like piano music, and it's to Amazing Grace. Now, every night, my husband leads our children through a little bit of family devotional time, and we always try to end with singing. And because that's right there in front of their faces, nine times out of 10, my kids will request that we sing Amazing Grace. And so, thanks to it being right there with all the verses and the chorus in front of them, they've just followed along and now they've got it memorized. And it's really sweet to hear their little voices singing, especially when they're singing that line, A Wretch Like Me. And it has opened up so many opportunities for us to even discuss what each line means. But I do believe that they all understand it now that we have sung it so much and talked about it so much. You know, last week I was editing that interview that you did with Bruce Hindmarsh about John Newton, and I learned so many new things. Apparently, I didn't know very much about the guy, Um, but especially for somebody who has written a song that has such deep, rich lyrics that has staying power. I mean, it has been sung for decades upon decades. I, I think what I was most surprised about to learn about him was how difficult it was for him to truly come to Christ and change his lifestyle. That was so fascinating to me. And in fact, after I was editing and learning all about that through your interview, the next day I used that as a teaching opportunity for my children. <laughs> I was talking to them about Amazing Grace. And then I said, do you know anything about the man who wrote it? And went on to tell him some of the things that I had learned just from your interview. So thank you for that. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found, was Nothing like the voices of children singing of grace. Thanks, Kate Ray, for sharing with us from your family. Hearing about the Ray family, I was reminded of back in the early 1700s when a massive collection of children found grace in Jesus Christ. It happened on the borderlands of what is now Poland and Czechoslovakia. There was fighting between the Catholics and the Lutherans. Spontaneously, a group of children started meeting to pray. The pastors of their Lutheran churches were opposed to kids meeting on their own outside of the walls of a church building. They forbade this spontaneous movement, but the children kept meeting and kept praying. Even the Catholic children joined the Lutheran children in these outdoor gatherings. They would meet two and three times a day starting in 1704. They would pray for peace in their land and for freedom of religion. They would read psalms and sing hymns, and then they always prayed. Small children and teenagers would fall to their knees and repent of their sins. And then, when the right moment seemed to have come, they would close with a blessing. The movement spread through the mountain villages of Upper Silesia and into the towns Not all adults were happy about this, fearing the consequences. Some tried locking their children in the house, but they would climb out the windows. Reports began to circulate in local newsletters, spreading ever wider and wider, 
until the news was known in England and then in Massachusetts in America. To some, it became known as the Kinder Button, children's prayer movement. Slowly, adults were drawn into this movement of God's grace. They would form a circle around the praying children. In some places, the combined number might reach 300. Magistrates brought pressure to bear to disperse these outrageous meetings. One bailiff came with his whip, but when he heard the prayers of the little children, he could not use it. And from that group of children, finding nothing less than the grace of Jesus Christ, there came another movement of grace, the Moravians, who launched the modern-day missionary movement. It was unheard of, but not really. The Moravians started sending missionaries all over the world. The idea to send and share grace was born out of a 24-7 prayer meeting the Moravians held in Hernhut, and it lasted a hundred years. Which leads me back to the Apostle Paul and what he wrote to the missions-minded church in Corinth. It's 2 Corinthians 12, where Paul talked about his thorn in the side and shared a special experience in his life. And after sharing all of this, he finally quoted Jesus, who gave him God's grace. It was Jesus, not Paul, who said, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties, for when I am weak, then I am strong. Just a few thoughts on this passage. Paul says that God's grace is sufficient, present tense, underscoring the ever-present availability and sufficiency of God's grace. For Paul, every believer, children, and adults, regardless of how weighed down their circumstances may be. Paul quoted Jesus in saying, My power is made perfect in weakness. Paul wasn't allowed to speak about his heavenly revelations in chapter 12 of Second Corinthians, but he quotes Christ's declaration, My grace is sufficient, to underscore that his earthly weaknesses would be the platform for demonstrating and perfecting the Lord's power. That's the main point of the first 13 verses of 2 Corinthians 12. It's the foundation of Paul's defense of grace and the gospel throughout 2 Corinthians. The grace and the gospel that John Newton found more than 250 years ago. Let's take a moment and pray right now. Lord, we live in a place and in a time where people sing of amazing grace, but they don't always understand amazing grace as John Newton understood it, as the Apostle Paul understood it, as the New Testament preaches to us today. Lord, our grace is made known in our weakness, and the grace we need is found only in the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, for those of us listening right now who may have never found grace, would you lead us to our knees just like those children in 1704 who found grace in Jesus Christ? And for those of us who've already tasted grace and were born again, 
would you stir in our heart the need to find more grace and live out that grace with the power of the Holy Spirit at work and alive in us to share that grace with others, just as the Moravians went and did all around the world when they came along a few years after 1704. I pray this now in the name of Jesus. Amen. 2 Corinthians 12, 9 My grace is sufficient for you My grace is sufficient for you For power is perfected in weakness My grace is sufficient for you My grace is sufficient for you Shazo, one of those scripture memory songs, My Grace is Sufficient. On this haven today, how sweet the sound. And I'm grateful we could spend some more time today with Kate Ray, hear her children sing, and also Dr. Bruce Hindmarsh. This hymn, Amazing Grace, has quite the legacy. 
And it was so good to hear how it has affected the lives of those we shared with you today. I'm sure it has affected your life as well. I'd love to share the new book that Bruce Hindmarsh and his co-author, New York Times bestselling author Craig Borlase have written. It's called Amazing Grace, The Life of John Newton, and the surprising story behind his song. Bruce offers the history, Craig provides the novelesque story, and together they share the powerful Christian testimony of John Newton and how his hymn came to be 250 years ago this year. My wife keeps telling me it's the best Christian biography she's ever read. And I think you might very well think the very same thing as you read the story of how grace and the mercy of Christ changed John Newton's life. So, for your gift to the ministry, I want to send you a copy of this just-released hardback book, Amazing Grace, The Life of John Newton, and the surprising story behind his song. Go to our website, download a free sample chapter from the book, and then make your gift and ask for it. They're at haventoday.org, haventoday.org. Or call us at 800-65-HAVEN, 800-65-HAVEN. And if this program is a blessing to you and you join us regularly, would you also pray about becoming a Haven partner? That's somebody who agrees to pray regularly and give automatically monthly to help us keep sharing grace with others. Ask about it when you call or read about it when you go online. I'm Charles Morris. Thanks so much for joining me. Won't you come back again tomorrow? When again, together, we'll share the great story. It's all about Jesus here on Haven Today. Here for your encouragement and your walk with Jesus, I'm Charles Morris with Haven Ministries, inviting you to anchor your day in God's Word. Letter writing is fascinating. Not just the slow process of sharing your heart with another, only to wait for them to reciprocate, but how you know where a letter is from the second you see it. In the ancient world, it was wax. Melted wax, but on folded paper and then pressed with a unique seal. Further back, it was soft clay, wrapped around a tablet and marked with a distinctive seal. The wax, the clay, could have been anyone's, but once pressed, it was marked. My mind goes to Paul. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed, marked, sealed by the renewing of your mind. We were his wax. By Christ, he marked us as his own. Spend more time with Jesus. Visit GetAnchor.com.